Blog Talk Radio. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, public for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. What do those words mean to you? To me, they say, thank you, America, for your strength, your courage, and for our freedom, which has been a beacon to the world for 200 years. Of the United States of America. Whose bright stars are 50 states, each bearing its own stamp of individuality. People. 200 million strong people who have come to earth from all corners of the earth. And to the Republic for Richard A land of laws and an ingenious system of checks and balances that allows no man to become a tyrant and lets no group prevail if their power is not tempered with a real concern for the government. A land where the right of dissent and free speech is jealously guarded. For the ballot box is the sword, and the people its wielder. One nation under God. A land where freedom of worship is a cornerstone of her being. A land graced with temples and churches, synagogues and altars that rise in profusion to embrace all the religions of the world. A land forged by the hot steel and raw courage, conformed forever the awful crucible of civil war. Great liberty. Where man in pursuit of an honest life will not be denied his chance. Where her citizens move freely within her vast borders without hindrance or fear. A land brimming with opportunity. Where freedom of choice is the guideline for all. And justice. The courts of our land are open to all. Wheels of justice grind for all causes, all people. They look to every avenue for justice, every concern of the law, and they temper their reasoning with mercy for all.
commitment to something greater than themselves. Welcome to uh, another hour of the C. Robert Jones Situation Report, and I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. The call-in number is 347-884-8500. Today's date is August 8th, 2012. Beautiful old town, Alexandria. Looking out my picture window at the Potomac right now, looking across, I can see through the trees the Watergate Hotel. It's a beautiful night here. In Alexandria, Virginia, United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. Whenever I hear someone say, thank you for your service, Marine. Or even when I hear uh, commercials like the one I just played about a sense of honor and duty and all that, I kind of feel... I feel a little bit like a fraud. I feel I feel fraudulent. And I'll tell you why. Back in the fall of, well, the winter of 1978, I was bored with high school. I was bored. I was set to graduate in 79. I was a junior. And just... Just after New Year's, 1979, I decided I didn't want to be a high school student anymore. And I left. I just didn't go back. And for a couple of weeks, maybe a month, I worked I worked as a dishwasher in a Greek, a Greek uh, restaurant in the Merchandise Mart. In Chicago, downtown Chicago. I got tired of that because at the end of the week, I got a check for $80 after taxes. So I was making $80 a week. So I went back to high school, made up my classwork. My mom was uh, influential enough to talk the principal into taking me back. But after a while, I became bored again. So in February of 79, just a month later, after I turned 17, I went into the Army Recruiting Office on 43rd, no, 46th and Martin Luther King Drive, right next to the theater I used to 
go to as a kid to watch black exploitation movies. I walked into the Army recruiting office and just stood there. No one said a word to me. They just kept walking back and forth. And I just stood there. Well, after about 10 minutes, I left. A couple of weeks later, after leaving school, I attended Sanger Academy, 112th and Wallace, which is just three blocks east of Halstead. Well, I was walking down Halstead Street, 111th and Halstead. And I walked, I saw a Marine recruiting office. Well, this time I decided to walk in again. So I walked into the Marine recruiting office and I didn't get two, three feet in the door for a Marine in dress blue trousers looking trim and very military called me over. I said, you want to be a Marine? Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I said yes. He sat me down. I watched some videos of some Marines, the greatest, the greatest fighting force the world has ever seen, um, you know, all of that. Uh, when I got started on the paperwork, I signed my initials on maybe two, three hundred pages of paperwork. I had no idea what the hell I was signing, none, mind you. But I signed it all, just my initials. Every once in a while, a signature was required. About a about a week later, I took the ASVAB test downtown. Apparently, I passed. Then uh, set for the physical, which was an all-day affair because uh, we were required to spend the night in a hotel. And the physical started around 5.36 in the morning. Took the physical. By the time that was all done, it was afternoon. Apparently, I'd passed that as well. Then came the time for me to get my mom's signature. Because, after all, being a 17-year-old, I couldn't very well join the Marine Corps without her approval or my dad's. Dad wasn't home that day. My mom, she refused to sign. She left. She left through the back door. My mom left the house through the back door while the recruiter is standing. <laughs> They're waiting for her to come sign. Well, I said uh, to the recruiter, my mom left. He said, you know when she'll be back? I said, no, I don't. I think she doesn't want to sign. So he gave me the pen. He didn't say anything, mind you, but he just gave me the pen. I signed my mother's name to the contract. I was set to leave shortly after graduation that May. I received a call from the Marine recruiter on March 12th. The Marine recruiter asked me if I wanted to go sooner. I said, sure. He said, we'll be ready tomorrow. We'll come get you. And that was it. So officially, I joined the Marine Corps March 13th, 1979. Stood on the yellow footprints the very next day. After, 
after boot camp, I stood on the parade ground at uh, MCRD San Diego and I looked around and I said to myself, I remember, nothing dramatic. I said, wow. As a 17-year-old, I said, wow, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing than this. And fortunately for me, that feeling never went away. I'd always wanted to be a Marine. Wound up getting my high school diploma. Um, after going home on leave, my mom once again was persuasive enough to talk the faculty into uh, seeing it her way that I had enough credits to receive a diploma. I received my diploma. I did not walk with my class. I did not attend prom. And the rest was military history. I stayed in the Marine Corps because that's all I knew and because I loved it. I truly loved it. So whenever someone walked up to me while I was in uniform and said, thank you, thank you for your service, I, I still feel embarrassed by that because it was no sacrifice for me. I had a great time. I've been shot three times. I was in the barracks in Lebanon when it blew up. I have been stabbed. I've been in knife fights. I've fallen on an, air, an airplane 30,000 feet in a halo jump with my parachute refusing to open. Finally, it did. Just 1,330 some odd feet before I hit the water. Nevertheless, I enjoyed my career as a United States Marine. <laughs> I would I would love so very much to do it all over again just one more time. Oh yeah, there's some things I would change, of course. But I would give anything short of any of my children to just do it one more time. To stand on those yellow footprints as a 17-year-old. Just one more time. It was great. All right. Let's get on with the show. I am John Galt also. Now... Now that we've gone and taken that road down military memory lane, it's time we talked about some serious business. Well, the president's aggressive policy agenda. His, his agenda has reignited partisan politics, and it wasn't supposed to be that way. Southern senses in the House, Karen Hunter, are... O-S-S-P. I hope I said that right. The letters are real small, and I am old and blind. It, it was the lar largest protest march so far of the Obama's presidency. They came from far and wide, around the country. Tens of thousands of people filled Pennsylvania Avenue en route to the White House, where 
only months earlier, an ecstatic crowd celebrated the election of the first black president in the United States of America, an era that would end the Bush era. But only this time, they came in anger. With signs declaring tax slave revolt and stop spending our grandkids' futures and chanting no Obamacare. One sign read national health care doesn't work. Just ask Canada. Some aimed personally at the president, such as let's see your records or let's see your birth certificate. Shouted one man with a megaphone. Others shouted simply, USA, USA. Unlike the young and racially mixed crowds that poured out for inauguration, this crowd was overwhelmingly white and mostly older folks. These were the people... These were the people, folks, that Obama was supposed to reach. These were the people that Obama was supposed to reach to to soothe, to win over with his post-partisan politics and his stirring campaign slogan of uniting red and blue states. Red and blue America into uh, into an America, a United States of America. There are no red states. There are no blue states. Only the United States of America. You remember. Instead, red America was not greeting him with flowers this time. One sign read, and I chuckled. We came unarmed this time. Ooh. During the hard-fought Democratic primary contest against Hillary Rodham Clinton, part of the Obama argument was that he was going to move past rigid divides between the political left and right, and that he offered a generation, a generational turning of the page on the ideological battles of the 60s and 70s, that he molded that he that he would mold the Clinton generation into the Obama generation, into the American experience. But now, this promise seems to ring as hollow as, as anything he's ever said. This president has divided this country. Us versus them. We versus they. Rich versus poor, the haves versus the have-nots. If there is such a thing as an antichrist or an apocalyptic presidency, the type of person that will usher in the demise of this once great and powerful nation, because, and I say once because soon we'll be a nation without teeth. Our military is being sandbagged Yet again, for the fifth time in the history of this country, we're about to be rendered toothless early next year. Just as we had uh, after the, uh, before the Korean War, just after World War II, just after Korea, just 
before World War One. It seems that administration after administration fails to understand the significance of having a standing, powerful, well-armed, well-trained military. We're about to be broken down yet again, only to face some crisis in the future so that we'll have to dramatically and quickly mobilize some of the older warriors like we had to do just after World War II, World War II when Korea broke out. A lot of the old warriors came back and stood bravely against fierce odds. And Flycatch in the chat room. China and Russia are waiting with bated breath. Indeed, Flycatch, they're salivating at the thought of a toothless America. They sense weakness, I'm sure. We're pretty much broke. The military is about to be gutted again. Would we not be ripe for the taking? If not an outright invasion, perhaps demands. Demands on this country, on our sovereignty, economic demands, and so on. When a once great superpower is sensed to be weak, they cease to exist for the most part. We've seen it time and time again throughout history. By the way, the call-in number is 347-884-8500. So, with that said, where do we go from here? With just under 90 days left, before what many are saying is the most monumental time of our history as a country. Because, you know what, folks, there is no doubt. None, mind you, that President Obama will double down on his policies and his rhetoric. He has hinted a dozen times over that, well... After the election's over, he'll have more flexibility. <sighs> now, we'll take a short break. Then we'll come right back and we'll talk about how it doesn't take a village anymore. It takes a government. You didn't build that. It's got legs, baby. It's got legs. I tuned into Fox and Friends this morning. I watched Greta Van Susteren's show <laughs> right after Sean Hannity. I watched Hannity. Oh, yeah. I watched Bill O'Reilly. I go to bed with those programs on in the background, 
I don't turn the TV off. I turn on the uh, energy saver thing on the television, which actually cuts the picture off. But the sound is still coming through the sound system. So I can hear everything that's going on. And when I get up to take a pee at 2 in the morning, I can hear Greta's voice. And, of course, Red Eye is on at 3. I'm still getting my knowledge on even when I'm asleep. That's how dedicated I am. So, all last night, all morning long, what was the talk? You didn't build that. You didn't build that. That's not going away. It's not going away, and I predicted we'd be dining out on this on well after Election Day. If Obama loses, which we expect that he shall do, many are suggesting it'll be those four little words. You didn't build that. We'll be right back, and we're going to talk about it. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. The call-in number is 347-884-8500. We'll be right back. Warfare, whatever. No, there is nobody in this country who got rich on his own. Nobody. If you've been successful, you don't. You didn't get there on your own. You, you didn't get there on your own. You built a factory out there. Good for you. If you've been successful, you don't. You didn't get there on your own. But I want to be clear. You moved your goods to market on the roads. The rest of us paid for. Somebody invested in roads and bridges. If you've got a business, that you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. You hired workers. The rest of us paid to educate. If you were successful, somebody along the line gave you some help. There was a great teacher somewhere in your life. You uh, were safe in your factory because of police forces and fire forces that the rest of us paid for. You, you didn't get there on your own. I, I'm always struck by people who think, well, it must be because I was just so smart. There are a lot of smart people out there. You didn't have to worry that marauding bands would come and seize everything at your factory and hire someone to protect against this because of the work the rest of us did. It must be because I worked harder than everybody else. Let me tell you something. There are a whole bunch of hardworking people out there. Now look, you built a factory and it turned into something terrific or a great idea. God bless. Keep a big hunk of it. But part of the underlying social contract is you take a hunk of that and pay forward for the next kid who comes along. Somebody helped to create this unbelievable American system that we had that allowed you to thrive. The Internet didn't get invented on its own. This is absolute lunacy, as are most progressive socialist ideals. Parents paid for my teachers and the roads and the police and the firemen when I was a kid, as did their parents when they were kids. Now I pay for the teachers and the roads and the police and the fire and all of the other services that these two socialists may wish to include. All of those people were compensated for conducting their duties as they were hired to do. ...owns a thing that I create, not one. What I create is mine. What they create is theirs. And if any of these boobs have one of Obama's newly created, overcompensated government jobs and thereby create nothing... That's their problem. 
How dare Let's be realistic for a minute. Am I cooking, huh? I mean, take a look at this, huh? Is this what happened in professional wrestling, huh? Very cocky. A lot of charisma. The most well-known, the best-looking, the best-dressed. Custom-made clothes. Gold around my neck. Rolex watch around my wrist. My shoes cost more than your house. Drive a Lincoln Continental, a Mercedes, a Rolls, own a Corvette, live in the biggest house on the biggest side of town. Shut airplane. And I got a limousine sitting out there a mile long with 25 women just dying for me to go. Woo! Thank you, Jerry. And we have one more example of the American formula uh, for creating business and jobs that, that the White House has to begin to understand, and that's Renee Amore. Renee? Thank you, Don. I appreciate it. And thank you to my fellow small business owners. I just want to say I'm Renee Amore. I'm the president and CEO of the Amore Group. A healthcare and business consulting group out of King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. And I have to say that I have over 50 employees. We have been in business for about 16 years now, and I'm happy to say that we have been blessed because of sacrifice. When the president made his comment last Friday about you've got a business, you didn't build that, I don't know where the heck that he got that from. And to me, it was a reprehensible statement, and he doesn't know what the heck is going on in this country. President Obama's comments reflect just how unqualified he is to lead this real economic recovery. He really doesn't understand what it's about. This was insulting to me, and not just to me, to all the entrepreneurs on the phone and across this country. Mitt Romney knows that because he has lived it, he's helped entrepreneurs and dreamers start their companies like me. He has, you know, he doesn't um, practice the Chicago-style economics. You know, he doesn't just give to, you know, folks that raise money or those kind of things. This is getting out of hand. It's out of control. As an African-American woman, a woman, people think I need to vote for Obama because he's black. Well, I've been black a long time, and he won't get my vote because of the things that he has done. While his supporters get paid off, the middle class like me, American, I'm suffering. I don't want to have to lay off people, but other people have been laid off. I am creating jobs. He doesn't know how to create jobs. He knows how to get rid of jobs. Over 23 million Americans are out of work and unemployed or having given up looking because they just don't know what else to do. The income and wages have fallen. I worked very hard. I'm going to continue to work hard. He's not working hard at all, and he doesn't know what hard work means. My husband, who was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, I am the sole breadwinner in my home with my child. So the bottom line, this is the bottle for me and all my employees. So I need to liberal cuts. We're all cuts together. We'll bring down this evil GOP empire. The Romney campaign came out with a new shirt that says, I built my business, Mr. President. I don't ever remember the president saying that. So let's see what he really said. If you got a business, that you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. Well, I guess he did say that. But joining me now is Professor Dick to explain how the president didn't say what he just said. The president never said, the president never said you didn't build that business on your own. The president said you never built that business on your own. Now there are two different definitions to this. Look at my fingers. There are two different definitions to this. One says, Romney says, you didn't build this business on your own. The president says, Obama says, you didn't build this business on your own. Now, do you see the difference? 
a huge difference in this. They are not the same. Now let me tell you a story. I went to a university in Europe. And let me tell you something about the roads. The roads were alive. They were alive. The roads made everything. They made everything. Now let me tell you something. You know who made those roads? The government did. The government made the roads. Now if we made roads like that here in America, the roads would be making everything. Everything. Anyways, let me tell you something. The president never said, you didn't make this business on your own. The president said, you didn't make this business on your own. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> Okie dokie. Oh, we're back with the C. Robert Jones situation report. It's uh, Things are just getting crazy. Remember when Obama would say, when Hillary would say something that he didn't think was uh, you know, very serious, he would say, this is uh, silly season? We're in silly season right now. Yeah. <laughs> there are you-didn't-build-that t-shirts popping up all over the place, hats, uh, even... Dosecki's, my main man <laughs> in the Dosecki's commercial is getting in on the act. It's all gone. It's all gone. It's all. It's all. It's uh. It's 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 gone crazy. It's gone crazy, and I love it. I love it. Did you hear the uh, the 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 black lady who is incensed at the suggestion that? she didn't build her business, that she didn't make the sacrifices she made to build her businesses, that uh, when when Obama is is giving the credit to somebody else, when Elizabeth Warren is giving the credit to somebody else, isn't it amazing, folks, that Elizabeth Warren has now got a prime spot in the Democrat convention, uh, at the podium, at the Democrat convention, uh, convention coming up. Obama loves surrounding himself with people who think like him, but yet he will jump at the first hint if so, uh, at someone suggesting that he's a socialist or a Marxist. You know, Dick Cheney said the other night in an interview that he thought that when Obama took office that he would you know, simply be well, just another liberal, you know, just another liberal president, no big deal. But he says he's astonished that Obama is so far to the left, way far to the left. And, and let me ask you this. Can a president win re-election pandering to just his base? Because it, it appears to me that he's pretty much given up on the independent vote. Now, we've all been told, and some of us believe that, well, a lot of us believe that the votes between Democrat and Republican, conservative and liberal, are pretty fairly evenly split, but that it's the independents that decide elections. 
It is. It seems to me that Obama has fairly given up on independence. He is catering to his base. Will his base be enough? Now, Obama's you didn't build that. Well, as we've indicated, continues to resonate far more, far more than a political gap. And there's a reason, though. The implications are far bigger than his attempt to discredit the successful. It's far bigger than that. He he, he didn't simply go from it takes a village to it takes a government. It's 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 his statement challenges the fundamental relationship between America and its government. Now we don't need to well, maybe we should. In his recent Roanoke, Virginia remarks, Obama attempted to unmake the ideal of the self-made man. If you've got a business, you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. Huh. You think he overshot? Just a bit? In an effort to exalt the government? He not only denigrated the individual, he inverted America's historical view of the relationship between government and the people, the workers, the, the, the builders, the manufacturers. Now, many liberals may think this is true. That it's the government. But few, even in their most unguarded moments, I'm talking about just knocked down, drunk, falling out of the bar, slap happy, would dare say it publicly. Over our nation's two plus centuries, we've, we've, we, we have exalted the independent pioneer spirit. So much so that it's virtually synonymous with being an American. We're independent. We as a people are imbued with this with that sense of independence. Even if some do not share the sentiment, the majority of us do. Savvy politicians of all stripes know it. And at the very least, they pay, pay lip service to it. Still, Obama said it. We have a call on the line. We'll take our call. Caller, you're on with the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Ah, yes, sir. This is Jeff calling from Chelsea, Massachusetts. Hey, Jeff. This, this is a great program. Well, now, thank you. Now, as far as Obama's concerned, I've seen Elizabeth Warren at an SEIU meeting because SEIU took over the, the security company for, for which I work for. So, so I went to one of their meetings. Man, it is like a communist rally. I'm telling you that right now. I see the firsthand team with my own eyes. Uh, Obama is Robert Mugabe. That's that, that's that's who Obama is. 
Mm-hmm. And, and this stuff has happened in history. And, and, and you know what? In, 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 uh, in the Mugabe regime, any person in, in Mugabe's regime that was, that was sympathetic to the, to the British whites and, 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 and the capitalism, the Christianity, Robert Mugabe knocked them right off the box. This is not race. This is about ethics. It's about humanity. Now, now, as far as as Obama's speech is concerned, all that Obama is doing is is, is he's saying, "Workers of the world, let us unite." He, Obama is speaking to SEIU. He is speaking to the unions. He's speaking to the freeloaders. He's speaking to to to, to, to the foreign third world countries that want to take over this country. I mean, I mean, I mean. If you if you look at the pedigree of Obama, uh, you know, Bill Ayers and people like that. There was an undercover agent that went into into the Weather Underground. What 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 Weather Underground wants to do is hand over America to Russia, China, North Vietnam, carve up America, and 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 put and put dissidents and thought criminals in the concentration camps to reeducate them. If they don't want to be reeducated, then they get killed. That's that's what Obama wants to do. We're talking Robert Mugabe, and 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 the other shows that, that, that really hit this type of stuff is your show and other shows like this on Blog Talk Radio. But the mainstream conservative radio will not talk about this. They will only go so far, and, and then they stop. And then and then I, I get on the mainstream talk shows to talk about this when I can, but 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 they but they will not talk about this on their own. What, what we're going to see, my friend, is genocide, plain and simple. And, and it's going to be genocide of people who are for the American way and, and for Christianity and, and so forth and, 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 for the, and who are anti-communist counter-revolutionaries. And that's all I have to say. I'll let you go. Have a good night. All right. Well, thank, thank you, caller. Um, I, I, I appreciate the call. I mean, um, you know, a caller made some some great points. Um, you know, I just wish a lot more of what uh, what 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 our caller just said is uh, you know is documented. I wonder if he might put some uh, put some information up to a possible website or some books that uh, that we can uh, you know uh, read uh, on on this subject and uh, you know kind of kind of get some more information because you know a lot of the stuff that the caller. Uh, just uh, just put out there is very controversial, which is why a lot of uh, the mainstream media won't touch it. I mean, you've pretty much got to you know listen to like coast to coast, you know, in the, like at the midnight. You know, any, anybody uh, coast to coast fan, you got to listen to you know that show in order to kind of get that information out there. A lot of the shows, you know, or maybe even uh, you know Alex Jones or some or, or someone like that. A lot of the mainstream media won't touch those things because, well, quite frankly, it's uh, it, it, the subject matter is very controversial and a lot of it's not very not not provable uh with what we have what what we have uh to you know to to deal with at this time however i i tend to agree i think that you know we're we as a country america is just about on the verge we're we're on the verge of a revolution and you know let me say this. When the President of the United States of America actively 
gleefully, pits, rich against poor, culture against culture, black against white. Every way you slice it, Obama is pitting one group, one segment, one socioeconomic group against another. Now, correct me if I if I go too far. But wasn't this it, it would it be a stretch to suggest that what the civil war was fought along these same lines us against them? How many states right now today are refusing have have said that they will refuse to implement the federal mandate, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. How many states are saying that they're not they're, they're not going to touch it? They're not going there. They're not going to implement part the, uh, uh, much of it, or if anything. States are in rebellion. Not many, to be sure. But the states are beginning to rebel against this presidency. So, what what I think is irresponsible and dangerous, well, I think a lot of things are irresponsible and dangerous, but with this particular administration is they're, they're going to war. And and I don't I don't like to use that word loosely. I mean I'm hearing that that so so this uh, uh, conservatives are going to war against women or there's a war on gays or there's a war on people who eat apples and you know you're throwing around the word war, but it seems as though it just it just seems as though. This president, this administration is telling, is seeking to impose its will on states and on the citizenry. Or does it just seem that way? We live in interesting times. We live in dangerous times. And it it's not lost on me that the man who just happens to be the first black president who said that he he came to heal a nation. He came to part the seas and the air would clear and the oceans would recede and he would unite this great nation. I got my hands up like Jesus right now. Like like I'm you know like I'm you know that that my hands outstretched right now that he came to to heal and bring peace and righteousness to America has turned out to be the most divisive president in modern history. Is the man who came to heal America 
no red states, no blue states, only the United States of America. His said that his salvation depends upon our collective salvation. Now, I earlier in my blog talk career, along with Tesla and G Ski, and even you know uh, um, GTT one eighty three, and a lot of blog talk hosts. We wondered aloud on our blog talk shows if Barack Obama might not be the Antichrist. Well, today I won't go that far. But one has to wonder whether or not this president will usher in the next civil war. Whether or not this country will be reduced to anarchy. Think about it. Now, we're going to take one more break, then we'll come back and we'll finish up for the night. Again, the call in number is 347 884 8500. We'll be right back. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Happy birthday, America. Doc Jones is a real patriot. In fact, not only does he think like our founding fathers, he likes to see what they see, too. And then I got the thought that uh, I'd like to kind of see what Lincoln might be looking at. Wound up actually sitting on Lincoln's lap. Wound up falling asleep. Falling asleep in Lincoln's lap. I woke. The sun was coming up. And uh, I must have been asleep for at least two, three, four hours. The Situation Report. Weekdays at 8 p.m. Eastern. President Obama tells businessmen that they are not responsible for their own success. I'm Alan Barton. Stand by for Front Page. Joining me in studio, Yaron Brook, president of the Ayn Rand Center for Individual Rights, and Terry Jones, associate editor for Investors Business Daily. This was big news this week. Let's take a look at what President Obama had to say regarding success in America. If you've been successful, you, don't, you didn't get there on your own. You, you didn't get there on your own. I'm always struck by people who think, well, it must be because I was just so smart. There are a lot of smart people out there. It must be because I worked harder than everybody else. Let me tell you something. There are a whole bunch of hard-working people out there. If you were successful, somebody along the line gave you some help. There was a great teacher somewhere in your life. Somebody helped to create this unbelievable American system that we had that allowed you to thrive. Somebody invested in roads and bridges. If you got a business, that you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. And as a small business owner, I say to you, Mr. President, F you. I think I can say that on the internet. F you. I didn't build that. This is one of the most staggering things I think I've ever heard come out of 
any politician's mouth, much less the President of the United States, and even this guy who has said some amazing things in the last three years. Uh, Yaron, you want to lead off on this one? Sure. Look, this is, this is the whole philosophy of collectivism that dominates the Democratic Party and, unfortunately, much of the Republican Party, but it dominates them. And, and this goes back to Hillary Clinton, right? Remember, it takes a village. This is exactly his point. You achieve nothing by yourself. Without the village, nothing get attained. What he forgets is that those people in society who are productive, who work, who build businesses, who create stuff, uh, make the village possible. There is no village without them. So, yeah, nobody, start, nobody builds a business without employees. But you know what? The employees get paid, so you owe them nothing beyond that. You have suppliers. You have all these other things. Yeah, that's what contracts are for. That's what trade is for. And government, those roads and bridges that you use. Yeah. And you know what? Not only do I pay well, through my taxes for that, but then I pay for all the entitlements and waste and abuse and all the other junk that limits my productivity so that I can't, you know, make as much as I would well, otherwise. And he was plagiarizing Elizabeth Warren and yes. her famous thing that she said a yes. few months ago that went on fire around the Internet. Oh, my God, the greatest thing ever said was the idea that uh, we paid for that. If you're a business owner, we paid for those roads. We paid for those police. I'm going... Wait a minute. Uh, I think the business owners pay a huge amount of tax in this country. In fact, the vast majority of taxes are paid by those who uh, yeah. gather the most wealth. And so the idea that this, this us-them division from the man who says he is uh, trying to bring us all together, you know, people say it was a gaffe. I don't think it was any gaffe. I think it was a very. I don't think he was on prompter there, and 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 we pierced the veil, didn't we, of his viewpoint, which is the like a concept, some sort of, some sort of Catholic sense of original sin. It's like. Like original. All right, and we're back with the C. Robert Jones situation report. I think we, a lot of blog talk hosts, in fact, a lot of hosts in the mainstream, not in the mainstream media, on Fox News and my main man Rush Limbaugh, we 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 uh, we have a standby. Well, wait, you, know, you think, okay, well, you know, what am I going to talk about tonight? I don't know. Wait, well, what's going on? Oh, yeah, that stupid, you didn't build that. Maybe we ought to, you know, go with that. <laughs> because it's it's got legs, baby, and it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. That's for sure. You didn't build that? That's going to be around for a long time. There's no doubt about that. None. None whatsoever. So, when I say... <laughs> when I say you did... <laughs> hey, we're going to talk about... <laughs> you didn't build that. So, rather than be a unifier, what we see we have here is socialist Barack Hussein Obama, the most divisive president in America's long, long history. He's using his community organizer skills and tactics, and he's trying hard to 
divide America using socialism 101. But America has gotten wise to these tactics. And Obama's about to get his comeuppance, and we're going to put him in his place. And we're going to send him home. We're going to send Barack Hussein Obama packet this November. And if we don't, I think, you know, and, and I hope, I hope you don't think that I'm being overly dramatic when I say that we're going to cease to be the once the great and powerful nation after eight years of Obama. Let's just say, well, let's hope, for example, that the Republicans keep the House and take the Senate. If that happens, then maybe, just maybe, we'll survive four years, four more years of Obama. Maybe. But if the Senate remains firmly in Democrat hands and Republicans keep the House then we'll simply have what we have now. Obama exercising his authority with a little bit more of that you-can't-wait crap. And we'll be, there'll be four more years of a president saying that he's he's got to get things done for the American people. And this do-nothing Congress... Well, they refuse to help him. They refuse, they'll refuse to uh, help advance the agenda of the American, what the American people want. So, the bottom line here is we can't, we can't, we can't wait. We can't have another four years of President Barack Hussein Obama. We simply cannot. So, we're going to take one more break. Just one more because I have a really cool parody I like to play. It's the latest parody from my main man, Paul Shanklin. And you got to hear it because it is hilarious. And if you don't laugh, there's nothing wrong with you. We'll be right Obama back. Obama was in the recording studio. He's pulling out all the stops to try to make sure he is properly understood on all of this. Who's the one who gave you success? How can you talk that way? Who's the one who builds your business? Not because you're smart and work hard every day, baby. Somebody else made that happen 
White comedian Paul Shanklin uh, doing the vocal portrayal there, Barack Obama, and a cover of... All right, we're back with the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. That was my main man, Rush Limbaugh, and playing a uh, parody by Paul Shanklin. Um, If you're interested in parodies of that type, which I love, I've been listening to them since, what, 1998? Paul Shanklin's been been doing that for a very long time. He started doing this uh, work with Rush back in 1998 when Rush was um, out of uh, Sacramento, uh, Rio Linda, uh, California, that area when he started when he when he first started uh, syndicating his show. But um uh Paul Shanklin, you can find his CDs online um and they're reasonably priced if you just want some. I got them all. I got them all. I got. I got. I got all the latest. I got them in a big stack. I'll be glad to send you some of mine. Um, so we've had a great time here tonight, haven't we? I know you all have so many things that you could be doing, and you've taken the time to listen to my show. I so do appreciate it. Uh, tonight. We're going to go ahead and sign off. We we stayed on a little bit longer than we normally do because I wanted to get some things out. And I did, I did want to play a couple more of my um, my parodies because I think you, you'll like them. But uh, we stayed on a little longer than we usually do. And until my guy G-Ski comes back, we're probably going to move our show up to uh, 90 minutes instead of the, the one-hour broadcast until he comes back and he, he, he gets back on the air. Um but, uh, hey, once again, thank you all for listening. Come on back tomorrow night because we have a really interesting show coming up. Oh, and one more thing. I will have, for the first time 
in my blog talk broadcast career, my experience, a guest, yes, a guest, her name is Leslie Cathy. She is one of a very few, a handful, if you will, survivors from the Jonestown, Guyana uh, suicide, murder. They're calling it a lot of things still. Anyway, her story is riveting and compelling. She escaped while others were drinking the Kool-Aid, if you will, and being in, and the children were being injected with cyanide. She managed to gather up one of her small children and escape through the jungle 15, 20, 30 miles with her child strapped to her back. To escape the massacre, she lost her husband. She lost her mother. She lost two sisters and a brother. They all perished as she escaped through the woods. It's a compelling story. I will have her on. And how does this tie into Blog Talk Radio, you say? Well, the, Jim Jones sought to create a socialist, Marxist, communist utopia in the jungles of Guyana. It didn't work out so well. And Leslie will be here to talk about it. That show will be on Monday. We'll be promoting it the rest of the week and throughout the weekend. She'll be on with me Monday, 8 p.m., and we'll hear her story. If you'd like to get information about it before the show, check out her website, Slavery of Faith, by Leslie Wagner Williams, which is the name she goes by now. But at the time, she was Leslie Cathy. Slavery of Faith. I wish I had the website up right now. I'd put it up for the folks in the chat room, but look for it. The book, Slavery of Faith. You'll go to, it'll take you directly to her website. She'll be on with me Monday night at 8 p.m. Well, once again, folks, thank you for joining me tonight. I do appreciate it. Please come back tomorrow night and certainly Monday night for my first and only guest, Leslie Cathy, the author of Slavery of Faith, a survivor, one of few, of the Jones Jonestown, Guyana, I don't know what to call it, but you'll see. Thank you folks for tuning in. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. Mm-hmm.